you know, obviously the spiritual life is, is mainly, you know, you and God and prayer, but it's also, it's also the, the, the group, the community. If you're exempting yourself from the community, not only do you exempt yourself from the wisdom, like all those books you're talking about, they came from people who were in the community, in the Christian yeah. community, right? You're exempting yourself from the wisdom, the tradition, the liturgies, but also you're, you're sort of impoverishing the community. You're not participating in the community yourself. You're not, mm. and which I think is a, a loss for the community. I found this quote. I'm going to read you this quote from this. Um, it's, a, it's a gay couple. I just think this is brilliant. So it's at the end of this article about, um, you know, LGBTQ friendly churches and, and saying how, how difficult it is. Carlos Rosada and Luis Suarez, a married couple from Queens, um, said this was the distinction they appreciated. They're talking about the kind of arguments in the church. Sure. They came to St. Paul's because they wanted their son, okay, this is married, gay couple with a son, to see that his family had a place in the church his fathers had grown up in, Mr. Rosada said. Look at this. Quote, we are here. We are not going anywhere. I am Catholic. This is where I belong. Hello, damn givers. Welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. I'm your host, Nick LaPara. And on this show, I talk with people living meaningful lives, people who give a damn. Friends, this is the first intro and outro being recorded from my new office in New York City in Manhattan. More on why we moved here and all of that very, very soon. But thank you for showing up today. I'm so glad you're here listening in. And if you love this show, if you love Let's Give a Damn and what we're trying to do and build, please consider subscribing to the show on your favorite podcast app and maybe share this episode with a friend or two or 10. It would mean the world to me. I'm beyond thrilled to introduce you all to my friend and guest today, Father James Martin. Father Jim is a Jesuit priest, editor-at-large of the Jesuit magazine America, and he is the author of Building a Bridge, Learning to Pray, and several other incredible books. I have long admired Father Jim for so many reasons, and I'm glad it worked out for us to chat during Pride Month because he has been an incredibly vocal supporter of and advocate for LGBTQ people inside and outside of the Catholic Church for years. In fact, he was granted a 30-minute audience with Pope Francis, arguably the most famous religious leader in the world, a couple of years ago, and he spent much of that time talking to Pope Francis about the inclusion of and support for LGBTQ people in the Catholic Church. Another reason I wanted to have him on the podcast was to discuss his new book about prayer. Well, why prayer? Well, I've been on a roller coaster of a faith journey over the past few years. Many of you know that I've shared many things about that on the podcast, but one of the very reasons why I don't think I can ever leave the faith is because of prayer. I love it. I need it. I partake in it, and I still have so much to learn regarding prayer, but prayer has helped me so much in so many ways, and specifically tied to this podcast, prayer has helped me become a much better damn giver. I'm sure many of you already pray, but we can always learn more about prayer and how to do it better. And for the rest of you, I'd love to try to convince you to learn how to pray today alongside Father Jim Martin. I think prayer will help you. I really do. A fair warning that this episode obviously has religious and specifically Protestant and Catholic overtones. I think that's obvious at this point. I hope that doesn't scare you away. I think this conversation is for everyone, and I hope you'll stick around. Before we jump into this conversation, a quick reminder that you can anytime and for any reason email me at hello at letsgiveadam.com. I love hearing from you. I mean it. That's not just something I say. Please connect with me. I love hearing from each and every one of you. And now let's get right into my conversation with the wonderful Father James Martin. Let's go. Father Jim Martin, thank you so much for joining me on the Let's Give a Damn podcast today. My pleasure. We've already had a couple minutes of back and forth. Maybe some of that will include in the show. Uh, but I'm so, I have been a massive, uh, I don't know if fan is the right word for a you know Catholic priest, but I've, I've been a, a massive beneficiary of your work over the years. And you've always been on the list for me to chat with on the show for 
very obvious reasons, I think. So I'm just so grateful that we have an hour today uh, to talk together. My pleasure. You can say fan. That doesn't bother me. It's nice. There you go. It's I better than fan. the it's better than the opposite. You know. <laughs> very true. Very true. Let's. I always like to begin as we get into before we get into the meat of your life and work. I always love to begin with. You know, how did you get here? Who are the people, places, and things that formed you and shaped you? Because there's always clues along the way, in my opinion, to, as to how we are shaped and formed and kind of the stuff we're doing, even if it's not like directly tied. So could you give us just a couple minutes on the who, what, when, where, and why of the beginning of uh, Jim Martin's life? Yeah, it's pretty easy. I grew up in Philadelphia um, in a fairly a Catholic family, but not super religious. I didn't go to Catholic schools, elementary schools, high schools, colleges, went to the University of Pennsylvania, certainly not a Catholic school, to the Wharton School of Business. And, um, you know, basically because I thought, hey, you know, you got to make a living, right? And Wharton was, uh, you know, has the reputation of the best undergraduate business school. I studied finance. We always say not finance, finance sounds a lot finance. more classy. And uh, the joke was you'd get $10,000 more as a starting salary if you majored in finance instead of finance. I think and, you're right. Uh, worked, it does sound <laughs> very classy. It does. Worked for General Electric in New York City. Um, took a job there in 1982. This is at the height of, to kind of contextualize at the height of like the yuppies. And that was me. And I had a great time, you know, making a lot of money and, uh, you know, going clubbing and, you know, fill in the blanks, all the stuff one would do in one's 20s in New York. And then took a job at GE Capital I won't tell you my whole life story and and was sort of, I kind of got dissatisfied with what I was doing, sort of felt like a square peg in a round hole and then stumbled on the writings of Thomas Merton, mm. who I'm sure you know. And that really just got me thinking about doing something else, although I didn't really know what that would be. And I met the Jesuits, uh, a Catholic religious order, and they just seemed to fit. And I entered um, in 1988. And then my Jesuit, you talked about what forms you, my Jesuit formation, that's what we actually call it. Took me from uh, the novitiate in Jamaica Plain, Boston, uh, to philosophy studies at Loyal Chicago, to two years of working in East Africa with refugees. Wow. I was ordained. I, I studied theology, and then I was ordained in 1999. And I, around that same time, I was assigned to America Media, uh, then America Magazine, and I started writing. Um, and that's that's basically what I do now. I mean, I'm a Jesuit priest, of course. I do all the things that priests do. And, uh, and I, and I write too. So it's, a, it was kind of a circuitous path. I think that the, the person who sort of was most responsible for that other than Jesus, of course, uh, was Thomas Merton was the writings of Thomas Merton. That really, that really shook me out of my, uh, sort of slumber to quote, I think it's Kant that talks about his dogmatic slumber. This shook me out of my secular slumber. And just made me think, you know, there might be another way of living life. Nothing wrong with the business world. You know, I still, sure. yeah, I still, I mean, as you know, it's a real vocation for people. And in fact, I just had a reunion with some of my GE friends and, you know, a lot of them, they, you know, up until recently, they're, they're old enough now to be able to retire. They retire young, you know, like 55, they, you know, they're still in business and it's a vocation for them, but it just wasn't for me. And uh, I think that I found what is for me. So pre-1988, had you thought at all about becoming a priest or dedicating your life to this? No. Or was it like at, at any point in your life? So no. up until that point, you were focused on, you know, and it seems like that from your schooling and all that business, you know, build a career out of this. Yeah. So what was, was there like a, and, and you just talked about that moment and that mm -hmm. kind of shifted everything, but was there an exact moment? Was there a thing that happened, a situation that really, because that's a big shift after mm -hmm. you've started your career. I mean, you're, you're one of a handful of people that, I could even go and find where that's happened. People change vocations, but that's a stark change. Yeah. So was there something big that was happening that I, I would say everything? that's a, that's a great question. Um, I, I would say it's a, it was a bit of a pull and a push. The push was out of GE and I had some really unpleasant experiences that happened. You know, look, GE in the 1980s, like, you know, a lot of corporations was very hard driving and, you know, it was the era of Jack Welsh. You know, I'm talking to someone who was in, you know, business for a while very hard driving. And there were some really unpleasant experiences that happened that I found just shocking. I mean, that, that people mistreating me, people mistreating others. I mean, I don't want to go into all the details, but, you know, really kind of callous behavior that really shocked me. 
And at the same time, I thought, you know, what am I doing here? I think one of the questions that no one ever asked me, which I think all young people should be asked, is what, what would you do if you could do anything you wanted to do? Mm. And when I was at Wharton, you know, which was a, an excellent education, and I really enjoyed my time at Penn, you know, the, the focus was on getting a, the best job you can and making as much money as you can. And then when I got to GE, the focus is on, as you know, as it should be, the bottom line. And I just thought, what am I doing here? Yeah, It just doesn't seem to be for me. And around that time came the poll, which was the Thomas Merton book that said, hey, there's another way of living. Now, but to your point, I didn't really, I never thought about being a priest and I didn't know what a Jesuit was. I barely knew what a monk was. And yet there was something in there. Look, I, I think the way that God works is through our desires. God was kind of calling me through my desire. That's that's really beautiful, and I and I completely understand that. I um, I have been a pastor in the past. I'm still ordained. Uh, I've been ordained in a variety of of uh, Protestant denominations. Even though I've been, the way I describe it is, so I've been. We're part. We're Anglo-Catholic right now. Mm-hmm. We're part of an Anglican, but very Catholic-leaning uh, tradition. Um, but I've been. And, and maybe someday you can convince me to go the rest of the way. I, I've all for years, for years and years and years, I've been very attracted to the Catholic faith for a lot of reasons. One of them was so a few years ago, I was leaving the nonprofit world, and and during my non time in the nonprofit world, I had worked for some of the biggest Protestant leaders, um, like John Piper and a bunch of other people like that. These are people that I worked very closely with for a decade. Um, all over the U.S., traveled all over the world doing this work. And when we were leaving Tacoma, Washington, which was our home before our four years in Nashville, um, we were downsizing to literally all, we only took what we could fit in the back of our Honda Odyssey minivan. So we were getting rid of thousands of books and so many Mm -hmm. things. My wife and I, all of us love books. And so we're, we're clearing off these bookshelves and we had said to each other, we've got one bin a piece. One bin could fit around 90 to 100 books. That's what, Those are the books that we're taking. And so as I was sorting through the books, which ones I'm, I'm going to take, I uh, realized that I was leaving all of these Protestant and mostly still alive uh, authors on the shelf. And I was taking mostly, it was, it was all Catholic writers, and Anglican writers and Episcopalian writers. That was it. Those were the ones that I was attracted to. And that began our journey away from kind of traditional non-denominational Protestantism. And again, we're still on a journey, uh, but uh, it's been, it's been a, it's been a weird journey from That's where we were. That's a great story. It's such this. a, it's like a parable. You know, and then the, and then the man looked at the books and said, you know, what are the ones that I seem to really be attracted to? That's great. Yeah, and, it and by the way, by the way, we'd we'd be happy to have you in the Catholic Church. <laughs> I appreciate be more than it. Welcome. I, I appreciate it, and, and that's <laughs> actually part of um, part of this conversation today is going to be me asking you in the in a broader faith way. I don't want to get to it yet. I want to talk about pride actually here mm-hmm. as we begin our conversation. And I want to end talking about your book, new book on prayer, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But you. somewhere in the conversation, I do want to address like there's a lot of people listening. There are people listening that um, I think are interested in faith. There are also a lot of people that are still in, struggling, but still in. And there mm-hmm. are a lot of people, frankly, that over the last four years, things they've seen mm-hmm. in that happen uh, among Christians and people that say they follow Jesus, there's a lot of people I know that are listening because a lot of them are my friends that have essentially said, fuck it, to the faith and said, mm-hmm. if that's what it looks like, I'm out, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of people listening, and I want you, you know, in a few minutes to convince those people or, or at least, or at least give your like, Hey, don't leave. Like there's something yeah. more, there's something better there. Cause that's how I feel. I've mm-hmm. tried to leave father Jim. Like mm-hmm. I have tried to leave the faith because I've looked at what's happening and I don't want any part in it. Mm-hmm. And I literally can't leave. I can't leave. And one of the reasons is because of prayer. And we'll get to that here in a minute. So just to prep you for in a couple minutes. I want you to yeah, get sure. your case. Um, but let's talk about, this is a, 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 one of the reasons I'm glad we got to talk this month is because it is Pride Month mm-hmm. and you have been, and your your uh, your faith tradition has not been historically welcoming to uh, LGBTQ plus people, but you stand out as one of uh, you know these leaders that has uh, for years now spoken out 
in you know in support of our LGBTQ uh, you know friends, our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, and non-binary uh, you know friends. So, a couple years ago, you got a rare thirty-minute audience with Pope Francis, who I mm-hmm. admire a ton, and I know you do as well. Mm-hmm. I know you can't talk about a lot of the things that happened in that conversation, but you did talk, you did advocate for Mm -hmm. our LGBTQ, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, friends. Then a couple months ago, he came out with this statement saying we cannot and do not bless same sex unions. Mm -hmm. So I know you talked very positively about that conversation for a couple of years. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not even sure you would not, I'm not even sure you withdraw that positivity, but he, he did say this, right, about these same-sex unions. And so how, what has been your journey? I know a lot of it started with the Pulse shooting in 2016. Mm-hmm. That's when something was kind of awakened in you. Talk about, talk through your journey of getting from there. And maybe it started before, but that's when you started speaking up about it. What has that journey been like to, in a tradition that is not welcoming typically to LGBTQ people, to stand up for them? Oh, it's a, that's a great question and a big question. So I had been, you know, like everybody, I mean, I think most people I knew, know LGBTQ people as friends. And after I was, you know, and through my Jesuit training and after I was ordained, I knew them as friends, but also as parishioners and people that would come to me for spiritual direction and counseling, you know, they were, and also I live in New York, you know, so they were yeah. part of my world. And, but it wasn't until, as you say, the Pulse nightclub massacre in 2016, that I really felt called to step out a little bit and uh, advocate for them more, more publicly because I felt that, you know, the response to the shooting was really mostly silence from the bishops. And then that led to that led to a talk, which led to this book called Building a Bridge, which led to this ministry, which I do with many, many other people. Um, and by the way, there's a documentary coming out in, I don't know when this is going to air, but um, soon, I'll say. Amazing. Uh, and uh, pardon me? I said, amazing. Can't wait to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, anyway, so, and that led to that wonderful meeting with the Pope and also tons of pushback, you know, which I still get <laughs> daily, 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 daily. Yeah. It's been, I mean, I have to speak about this in spiritual terms. You know, it's been a real call from the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? That doesn't mean the Holy Spirit came down a little bird and told me, I want you to advocate for LGBTQ people. But I felt this desire to really be more public. And all along the way, different things have happened that have kind of invited me into spaces to talk about this. And so I do a lot of, for example, lectures and Zoom calls with schools, and it just keeps, you know, building. And, you know, as I said, there's been a lot of pushback. There's been a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm called heretic and apostate and false priest and on every social media platform you can imagine and in person. And I'm sure at this documentary, there'll be protesters. And, but, you know, I mean, who cares? I mean, if they have legitimate critiques, I'm obviously open to listening to them, but a lot of it's just homophobia and hatred. So it's been a, it's been a beautiful journey and it's been a journey also of, of kind of being educated because I don't, you know, I, I'm only one voice. I can't pretend to speak for the LGBTQ community. This is what they should do, or this is what the church should do. And so I need to be open to being challenged. And I am often by LGBTQ Catholics. Um, but for the most part, I'm I'm just happy to be an advocate and happy to be ministering with them and among them. And the the meeting with the Pope was really one of the high points of my life, frankly. Sure. Um, and I should say, this is going to sound very Jesuitical, but hey, I'm a Jesuit. Um, so the the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith put that uh, document out, and uh, Pope Francis basically approved it. And I think, you know, this is going to sound Jesuitical. We have to take seriously these reports from the Vatican um, that said that he was not happy with it and was distancing himself from it in later statements. We really have to take those seriously. So look, it's a bi- it's a big church, and you know, um, and along with that big church goes goes decisions that a lot of people aren't happy with. Um, but you know, I always compare it to the United States. Look, you know, a lot of people have difficulties with, say, President Trump. A lot of people have difficulties with President Biden, and that doesn't mean you leave. You know, and same with your family. So that's, but why would you stay? I mean, I'm going to anticipate your question. You stay in the church, not because of the institution, but because it, it, it is an encounter with Christ, with the living Christ. And so our faith is about a relationship with a person. It's not about a book or a set of rules, you know, as important as organized religion is. It's, it's about a person. 
And we encounter that person in community, right? So it's not just you and God or you and Jesus. Um, but that's, that's, that's the thing. It's, it's an encounter with a mystery, which I think still eludes a lot of, you know, otherwise devout sure. people, because for, right. the, for a lot of people, it's all about rules, rules and regulations. And then for other people, it's just about the organization. Like, well, I don't want to say because I don't agree with it. Well, hey, you know, there are a lot of things over the last four years I didn't agree with, but I don't leave the country and I don't renounce my citizenship. You try to make it better and you try to, you try to help. Same with the family. And people always say to me, you know, well, how can LGBTQ Catholics stay in the church? Well, guess what? They're Catholic, right? They're right. baptized. They're yep. Catholic. They're as Catholic as the Pope or me. Yep. And there's a great article the other day in the New York Times um, about LGBTQ friendly parishes. And uh, the outro, as they say in journalism, the, the last line was stunning. It was this LGBTQ couple who said, we're Catholic. We're not going anywhere. Why would we leave? I love I it. Just, it was really, it was really powerful and, um, and surprising because I think a lot of people think, oh, well, why would you stay at all? But again, I asked that question to people who have trouble with uh, parts of the government. You're going to leave? You want to renounce your citizenship? No, I would never do that. I'm an American. It's the same thing. And, and even deeper because it's, 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 it's your baptism. Yeah, I mean, I love. We could talk for four hours just. Yeah, on the we last could. Five, I'd be, five. I'd be happy to. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll, we'll have to do a, you know, a part two at some point. Director's but cut. What I, what I love about what you just said is, you know, I was just listening to this um, podcast. By the way, I need to get that article, or I'll just look it up. But I need to get that article from you because I really, really want to to read that. But I was listening to this uh, on being with Krista Tippett. Oh uh, yeah, she's great. It, she's she's amazing, and she was interviewing. Um, Daniel, uh, I think I think you pronounce it Kahneman, and he's this this older gentleman. Uh, really great podcast, but the name of the interview and the whole the whole uh, the whole uh, the content of the interview could be summed up with the title: "Why We Contradict Ourselves and Confound Each Other." I am a, I am a, I am a, I am a, for lack of a better term, because I don't like the term, but for lack of a better term, I'm a liberal, like I'm progressive in most, if not all of my beliefs. But the problem I have with my side, if I'm going to in air quotes, say my side is that we act like, for one, we act like only the conservatives are contradicting themselves all the time and are full of, you know, and that's a, that's a normal thing to do, especially when you try to mm -hmm. play teams. Sure. But when you realize like we have to deeply and profoundly realize that every, like we ourselves are contradicting ourselves each and every day. And there's not one group, institution, organization, nothing that we do in life or are part of where there aren't contradictions yeah. happening and where we're not constantly confounding each other. And so while I've had moments where I did want to leave the faith and not mm -hmm. really the faith, but like leave the institutionalized mm -hmm. church altogether, I kept coming back to I'm never going to get away from contradictions. I'm never no. going to get away from people failing me like or sin or sin and people doing wrong, right? Like leaders doing wrong. Yeah. I have a lot of friends right now, you know, in the Southern Baptist convention, there mm -hmm. is, it, it is a shit show right now because mm -hmm. all these higher up leaders, uh, you know, who supported Trump for four years and who did all these things are ignoring all of these sex abuse cases. There are pastors still preaching every single Sunday that have raped and sexually abused women. And the cases are out there and they're happening. They still get to get up and preach every Sunday. And I have really good friends that are still part of the SBC. Mm -hmm. And I don't question that because I know what's happening there. I know they have integrity. I know they're good people. And I know they want the best for the people that they have under their care. Why don't they leave? Because if they, wherever they go, whichever institution they choose next, there there's going to be contradiction. No, of course. And, 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 you know, and the, the search for a religious organization without sin is a search without end. I mean, no matter where you go, and that doesn't excuse things. I mean, you know, I can tell you even more about the Catholic Church's sins and sex abuse and on and on and yep. on and on and on from the inside, right? And, but, but I think, again, the, the problem is that, um, you know, people tend to say, well, if, if, if this is sinful, I need to leave, rather than understanding that sin has been part of the church. I mean, look, St. Peter denied knowing Jesus three times, Yeah. right? And Jesus, Jesus, after the resurrection, forgives him. I mean, that, that's a pretty big sin. 
you have conflict between Peter and Paul. I mean, there's a letter from Paul that says, which I love, I argued to I argued in Peter's face. I I cha- I, I challenged him to his face. <laughs> He's very proud about that, as you know. And so, you know, disputes, arguments, um, division, sin, uh, you know, human frailty, uh, vanity, pride, it's, it's, it's going to be there. And I think the problem is if you exempt yourself from that, you know, as the disciples said to Jesus, where shall we go, Lord? I mean, you're going to, is it just going to be you and God? Is that, mm. is that really, is that really what, what God wants in terms of just you and God? I, you know, I often, you know, obviously the spiritual life is is mainly, you know, you and God and prayer, but it's also it's also the, the the group, the community. If you're exempting yourself from the community, not only do you exempt yourself from the wisdom, like all those books you're talking about, they came from people who were in the community, in the Christian yep. community, right? You're exempting yourself from the wisdom, the tradition, the liturgies, but also you're you're sort of impoverishing the community. You're not participating in the community yourself. You're not mm. And which I think is a, a loss for the community. I found this quote. I want to read you this quote from this. Um, it's a it's a gay couple. I just think this is brilliant. So it's at the end of this article about um, you know LGBTQ friendly churches and and saying how how difficult it is. Carlos Rosada and Luis Suarez, a married couple from Queens, um, said this was the distinction they appreciated. They're talking about the kind of arguments in the church. Sure, they came to St. Paul's because they wanted their son. Okay, this is married gay couple with a son to see that his family had a place in the church. His fathers had grown up in Mr. Rosada said, look at this quote. We are here. We are not going anywhere. I am Catholic. This is where I belong. End quote. Goodness gracious. To me, that's just so much. I just think there's so much integrity with that. You know, I don't look and I don't look, I do not blame people who leave. I certainly do not. And I understand them, especially when I hear obviously stories about abuse and people feeling harassed and, you know, rejected, of course. By the same token, I also look to those people who say, I'm here, I'm not going anywhere. And I'm going to try to change things. One of my, one of my great heroes is uh, John Lewis. And, you know, same. I mean, theoretically, John Lewis could have just flown to Europe, right? After being beaten. And I'm going to a place where I can feel welcome, you know, as a, as a, as a black man. He did not. And I just, I admire people like that. So I, I look to people like that and, you know, look at Jesus, Jesus could have just stayed in Nazareth, you know, said, well, I'm not going to deal with all this stuff. Yeah. So anyway, it's, it's, it's about um, membership, but it's, it's deeper in the church. It's, it's about, it's about your identity. You said, uh, you talked, uh, you alluded a few minutes ago to the kind of mystery and you've used the Mm. word, you know, liturgy several times. And for people that don't know, liturgy is the work of the people, right? And in a, in a Catholic or Anglican Episcopalian setting, it's a lot of, you know, uh, praying things at the same time, Mm -hmm. speaking things over to each other at the same time, following a process, a journey, Mm -hmm. you know, for an hour at mass or whatever. That's one of the reasons I actually, because I grew up in a, uh, independent, fundamentalist Baptist tradition. Mm-hmm. So many rules, so many regulations, can't wear name brand clothing, no Christmas trees, you know, no drinking, no smoking, can't watch these movies, can't go here, can't, so many rules. Women wear dresses, um, everybody has 47 children, King James only Bible. Like it was, I mean, there were a thousand rules to follow. That mm-hmm. is the op the opposite of life giving it's life squelching when your whole ent- the entirety of your life is trying to follow rules and not break them versus um yes there are obviously these commands from Jesus right and we've got a bible that we try to follow i am horrible at it but we've got these these guidelines and these these things to follow but there's so, there's the reason i'm drawn toward catholicism and the reason that we're part of an anglo catholic parish now is the mystery i have found so much more room here right <clears throat> i've found so much more room to wonder to ask questions and to not know what what the hell's going on most of the time that is so freeing that i can stay in that I can see myself being a part of long-term because it's not exhausting. I actually feel peace and rest uh, versus 
this constant need to like, am I ticking all the boxes? Am I, am I following all the rules? In addition to that, what this gay couple you just quoted, one of the main reasons we moved from non-denominational Protestantism and we're on this journey now is along with the books, right? I, I talked about the books on the shelf. It was also looking at my three kids and saying, my wife and I had real conversations six years ago about this. We have hopped from organization to denomination all of our lives, never settling, never feeling at home. And again, always like leaving in a discontented way because mm. there, there, there were so many rules to follow and we just always felt inferior and less than. Do we want to pass that on to our kids or do we want to be part of something that our kids can kind of, we can pass the torch from us to them as they grow up and as they make decisions themselves, do we want to be part of this thing? At least we have something uh, uh, big, mysterious, and it's been around for a long, 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 long time, right? So it's tried and true. Mistakes and all, warts and all, scars and all, this thing's been around for a long time. That feels worthy of passing along to the kids versus you know, the latest fad denomination that Protestants will come up with, right? So anyway, that's kind of, I, I, I love that you, how you framed that, because that's, that's how we feel as well about our, this, 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 this faith journey we've been on. Well, it's life-giving and, uh, you know, it's not to say that the Catholic Church doesn't have rules for, as you know, 100%. Uh, but it is, um, you know, it is primarily an encounter with mystery. And I, I mean, I always love to quote, I think it was, it's either Augustine or Aquinas uh, that said that if you can define it, it is not God, mm. right? So God is, as they say, always greater, always greater than, and even the most rigid conservative Catholic, you know, rule-based would admit that God is more than we can understand. Jesus Christ is more than we can understand. And I, I came across a, a phrase I guess, gosh, where was it? Um, it was a it was a scripture scholar who said that uh, Christ is inexhaustible, which I love. And so you can never say that the if you follow these set of rules, you are you are following Jesus because yeah. it's it's always much more than that. And you know, Jesus Jesus talks about that in in terms of his uh, his the controversy stories with religious leaders of his time, you know, which we can't paint as all bad, you know, they were trying to be devout in their own way, but for some of them, it was a, a real rule-based religion, you know, at the time. And he was, he, he upends all of that. He, he, he breaks a lot of the, um, you know, the purity codes and he, he eats with tax collectors and sinners and they don't like him for it. And they, you know, this is, and he, he does all sorts of things that annoy people because it is against these rules. And yet, here we are in a church, in the Catholic Church, for example, that has, you know, a whole, we just issued a new code of canon law. So it's a, you know, it's a human and it's a divine institution. We have to remember that. Yeah. And again, it's, it's like the United States. I mean, you know, this great ideal. I mean, I'm, I am proud to be an American and I think it's a beautiful country, but it is deeply flawed. That doesn't mean I hate it or I want to leave. It, wants to, it means I want to make it better. That's so really it's, like, it's like the church. And I've also, the other thing is, look, for me, I always tell people this, look, so I'm baptized that that should be good enough. I've made a lot of promises in my life to God, you know, as a young Jesuit, I made a vow to live in the society of Jesus, the Jesuits for the rest of my life. And at my ordination as a priest, I made promises and I, that's it. So people say, why don't you leave? I, because I made, first of all, I'm mm. a Catholic. Second of all, I made, I, I made a promise to God. And so you know, we can't pick that what, with that line from Lord of the Rings that I love. You know, you can't pick what time you live in. You can only pick the, your response to that time, which is quite beautiful. I think Lord of the Rings has a lot of great uh, lessons. And of course, you know, Tolkien was a pretty religious guy. Yes. So, yeah. So, so this is the time we're living in. And for the LGBTQ person, I think what's interesting and one of the things I think is a burden. And I use John Lewis a lot. So John Lewis was not only persecuted and beaten. Right. But he also had to be a leader. Yep. Right. So it's this, yep. it's, it's, I mean, it's hard enough to be a leader and it's hard enough to be persecuted, beaten, but to do both of those things. And I think LGBTQ Catholics are in that situation now. And I often tell them that, which is a, a very strange thing to say to somebody like, well, you know, father, you know, you're asking us to be like leaders and leaven in the community to use Jesus's image of the yeast and the bread at the same time that we feel rejected. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Look at John Lewis. 
look at Rosa Parks. Look at all these people. You know, I really, I look back to the civil rights era as a great, uh, so many great um, I- images. No, that's, that's really great because yes, it's completely understandable when someone is a victim of, you know, hatred, mm-hmm. homophobia, mm-hmm. bigotry, whatever, for them to take care of themselves and to not lead. Right. I understand that there's, there's, there's fear, there's, uh, you know, self-preservation. Mm-hmm. Sure. And just, yeah. But you're so right. And that's what let's give a damn is all about is I'm trying to put together this global family of people that, um, at some point in their lives, we can't always do it. There are seasons for retreat and self-care, but there it, it is, it is the people I'm looking for the people. And, and I'm glad we're tying that to the faith context right now as well. I'm looking for the people that will say, even though I am the victim here, right? Mm-hmm. I am, I am the victim of, again, whatever it is, hatred, racism, mm-hmm. xenophobia, whatever. I am going to stand up mm-hmm. and in the face of those evil things, and I'm going to say no, and I'm going to push back because going back to that Tolkien quote, like we don't get to choose, but we're here. We're here now. Mm-hmm. You and I get to live in this amazing, amazing time in life where technology is is moving at such an incredible pace. And, you know, I have a million and one, that's, that's too many. I have 101 things I could say about Jeff Bezos and they're not positive, but we're in the time where Jeff Bezos just announced that he's going to space in July with his brother, like mind blowing stuff. Really? Like he's going to be on the first journey into space. Like we, we get, this is the best time ever to give a damn is what I always tell people because we have more resources and support at our disposal than anybody at any time in history. So I'm and, it's, and 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 put that in the faith faith context for again it, taking into account this month with our our uh, during Pride with our LGBTQ family and friends. I understand if you just want to retreat and kind of kinda, you know let things progress as they progress and you keep it quiet. Like I totally understand that, but it is going to take people standing up that are experiencing that uh, that hatred and that are experiencing that persecution to say no. No, no more. It's time for this to be over. And the way that I think that we do that is, you know, drawing from another amazing leader, Dr. King, you know, when he talks about this, the, the, the moral, the, the arc, the, the arc of the moral universe is long and it bends toward justice, right? This idea that we could work hard all our lives like John Lewis did. John Lewis is a great example. And so is Dr. King worked so hard, tirelessly, years, decades, they were beaten, they were arrested. Um, and you know, in Dr. King's case, he was ultimately murdered for what he was doing. Um, they didn't get to see the fruit of their labor mm-hmm. entirely. Mm-hmm. In small parts, really, especially Dr. King, because Dr. Lew- you know, John Lewis outlived him by decades. And that's okay. Like becoming okay with that. That, yeah. that we're going to work hard and we're going to do what we know we're called to do, and we might not get to see the fruits of our labor. That's an important well, part of giving a damn. Well, and that's really where the faith perspective comes in, because you you hand over these things to God, and you say that I'm going to do this and I'm going to trust um, that this is planting a seed. I mean, Jesus, the, the image in the gospel is the leaven, a little bit of yeast that, that expands the bread, uh, or the mustard seed, the little seed that grows into a big bush. And so I think um, one, of the, uh, one of the benefits of a faith perspective, and this is not why you have a faith perspective, you have a faith perspective because you believe in God, but one of the benefits is that when you are engaged in kind of social justice stuff and you don't seem to see results, you don't get discouraged. You don't get despairing. There's that great, do you know the Romero prayer? Have you ever seen the Romero prayer? Um, I, I don't know. I'll, yeah, it's, uh, I'll call it right up. It's, um, it's basically, it's from Oscar, it's attributed to Oscar Romero the great um, Archbishop of San Salvador, uh, who was martyred. Uh, and funny enough, the prayer itself, which makes me laugh, I, I just think this is really charming, was not even written by him. Um, it was oh, written interesting. By, yeah, was written by a guy named Bishop Ken Untner. So there's something beautiful about even the prayer that he wrote wasn't written by him. So uh, it, uh, so basically, it's, um, it's, I'm not going to read the whole thing. He said, it helps now and then to step back and take the long view. The kingdom, the kingdom of God is not only beyond our efforts, it is beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. No statement says all that could be said. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit brings wholeness. 
So at the end, he says, which is beautiful. I just love this. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. This is the most beautiful. We are prophets of a future, not our own. Mm. And so it's just, we plant the seeds that will one day grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces far beyond our capabilities. This enables us to do something and to do it well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning. I mean, that's stunning to me. And I, I think that, you know, I once asked, you know, Sister Helen Prejean, author of oh, Dead yeah. Man Walking? Love, love. Her. I love her. And she's very funny. Um, she once said to me, um, yeah, you know, a lot of these people that work in social justice are just so angry. And I, I saw that as a door opening. And I was like, I've always wanted to ask someone this question. This is years ago. I said, why do you think that is? She says, because I don't see results and they get, they get, uh, they get angry and they think it's all, you know, it's all related. You know, it's, it's all their failure when they don't, again, it's the Romero prayer that you need to think about. It's you do what you can and you trust that God will bring it to completion. In the story of the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes, the little, there's a little boy in John's gospel that brings the two loaves and the five fish or the five loaves and the two fish I can never remember. And it's, you know, it's for a huge crowd and he just gives it. It's a great image. He just gives these little things that he has. And Jesus, you know, multiplies them in the miracle story. And that then in the same way, God can kind of magnify what we're doing. But we have to really trust that. And that's where that's where I think people of faith really have a different perspective. So look, if I look, if if I whenever I die, hopefully not for a long time, and not. it seems like nothing has changed in the church with LGBTQ people, you know, I'd be disappointed, of course. But I'm not going to be despairing because I know that these are seeds that are planted. You know, I mean, like John Lewis, think of him getting beaten. At the, I, I don't know why I go back to him. I just found his story just so powerful. I love it. Um, think of him getting beaten at that bridge uh, in Selma, right? And giving yep. up. I mean, who could have blamed him? Nobody would have blamed him. No, at age, what, like 27 or something? He did not. And it, this is, he, it's like a seed. It's a seed. I and love- look at, look what, look what, look what grew up. I mean, his life and the inspiration and the, the just, so that's part of not, that's despairing never comes from God. Despair never comes from God. John Lewis getting beaten at, you know, at that bridge on that day, that would have been a footnote in a story, right? We would have, mm. we would have, uh, you know, read that story and mm-hmm. we would have known about him, but not the John Lewis that persevered for, you know, 50 more years after that. Right. And that's the difference, I think, is that we can choose to back down when things get tough and you're not. And I don't blame you. I want to make that clear for people exactly, that, are me neither. And that are downtrodden. But those that push past that, I think, are the ones that end up um, planting more seeds. Right. Because, again, he didn't get mm-hmm. to see the fruits of his labor, but they get to plant more seeds than everybody else. You're planting mm-hmm. seeds that I, I, too, hope that you see. I, for, for my sake and for my friends and family and for your sake, I hope that you see, you know, more fruit from your labor while you're alive. But, but if you would have given, you know, if you wouldn't have taken that stand in 2016 and maybe done, you know, a talk here or there, but not taking the bold stand, writing the book, talking, talk, spending your 30 minutes in your lifetime talking to the Pope about this, right? Like uh, now this is a part of who you are and you're, yeah, the more seeds are being planted. Um Thanks. Yeah. And I, I, I also feel, uh, you know, I'm this also, I mean, this is going to sound banal, but it's the right thing to do and it's the Christian thing to do. And so I, the other thing is not caring about what a lot of crazy, you know, homophobic people are saying online and just yeah. really just saying, who cares? I mean, I just, I, you know, I, I literally wake up every day and there's stuff on my social media, you're a heretic, you're terrible, you're going to hell, you're a false priest. I can list all the insults <clears throat> and I don't really lose any sleep over them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 I probably don't get as many as you do, but I get quite a bit for the work that I do, especially coming mm-hmm. from where I did in like conservative mm-hmm. Christianity. Mm-hmm. I have I have accounts that are set up strictly to troll me. Like it's all they they yeah. screenshot posts of mine and they alter the stuff and talk about it and yeah. call me this and that and and pe- a lot of my friends ask me like, does that bother you? Like that would bother me so badly, and I'm like. I feel so bad for them. I feel so bad and sad that they're taking time out of their day to worry about what I'm doing instead of them trying to make a difference in, you know, in their world, whatever that looks like. Right. Yeah. And they feel, feel, well, they feel that they're prophets. 
Yes. They have to call out evil. You know, I'll tell you, um, if you don't mind, one of the things that's really helped me was um, I had an experience in prayer where uh, I was praying over the story of the rejection at Nazareth. Do you know that story? Yes. In, in, yeah, in Luke. So for those of us who don't know, Jesus gets up in the synagogue in Nazareth and he basically says he's the Messiah and the townspeople, we, they, we sort of sugarcoat this, try to kill him, yeah. try to throw him off a cliff. And he leaves. And I was imagining myself in, in prayer, like sort of seeing this episode. And I said to Jesus in prayer, I'm not having a vision or hearing voices, just to be clear. You know, how are you able to do that? I'm like, I couldn't imagine, like this was years ago, five or six years ago. And uh, the words I heard in prayer, which I believe came from Jesus, again, I didn't hear them actually orally, were the words that came to my mind were, must everyone like you? Hmm. And I realized, you know, the joke was, yeah, at that time, I really did want everyone to like me. And I realized to be free of the need to be loved, liked, or approved of by everybody, you know, Jesus, you know, he didn't, he didn't need people to approve of him. And so, yeah, you have people who are opposing you and calling you names and saying you're this or that, or you're a bad Christian, I, you know, probably, probably get bad Christian, I get bad Catholic then, you know, you really have to be free of that need to, of that, that sort of desire for approval that we all have. And once you're free of that, you know, you can really embrace what's right. You know, you don't treat these people poorly or, or you know, you're not mean to them, but you also don't, there's not a hold, it doesn't, it doesn't enter you. You don't let it in. It doesn't make a claim on you. And so you can kind of look at this stuff and just delete it. I often compare it with people who are experiencing this for the first time. I say, imagine if you're crossing on the street in New York and someone yells out, hey, Nick, you're a murderer. You know, you're a murderer. You should be in jail. Now, you might turn and, you know, because you hear your name. You sure. might be a little like, oh, my gosh, why would you say that about me? But you're not going to go home and say, oh, my gosh, am I a murderer? You know, I, did I murder <laughs> so anybody? I, we yeah. have to think about it. The next time you see that guy, you might turn and look. Eventually, you're going to pass that guy in the street every day. And there are a lot of people like this in New York. And you're going to hear him. You'll be nice to him, but you're not going to, it's not going to change you. It's not going to make a claim on you. Now, if someone comes up to you as a friend who is really sincere and says, I have a little trouble with what you said on your podcast. And can you help me with this? I don't really understand. Then, then you answer and you go back and forth. But the other person, you, you can't let that in. No, don't let that live rent-free in your head for sure. No. <laughs> exactly. or, or at all. Yeah, right. Exactly. I, uh, that's true. Even if you paid me rent, you're not in. Here. Right. That's right. It's not worth I, it. I, I do want to talk about your book because it's so it's tied so very closely R right before we get there. And I want to be aware of our time. Sure. I, I, I want to, because you mentioned a couple minutes ago, and this is an important part because I'm so bad at it. And I realize that. And people that follow me on social media can see this and they, they know it's a struggle and they know that I'm, tr I think they, most people can tell that I'm trying to work on it is this whole, you talked about sister Helen Prejean talking about, uh, uh, the kind of the angry activist the angry social just like that's I'm a recovering uh, <laughs> and sometimes relapsing uh, people that know me can you can go back. I don't delete tweets or I try not to anyway, because I want people to kind of see the journey. I've got like I got like 70,000 tweets out there from the last 10 years. And I, I mean, I have I have been known to, you know, there's been multiple times, especially during these like, you know, uh, these police shootings and the police brutality mm -hmm. that I, I have said the words fuck the police multiple times on my social media. I mean it. That's how I feel. I think I, I, I long for a world where we don't need uh, uh, militarized police. But the thing that I keep coming back to and the thing that people, the feedback they give back to me, my mentors and strangers alike, and I, I welcome it from strangers, especially when it's done in love, is Nick, if you just reeled that in and and I think part of it is wanting results now versus knowing that some of, I won't see the results of some of this, right? I mean, look at the work that Sister Helen's doing, like uh, the, uh, trying to abolish the death penalty and all this stuff. Like she is watching people, you know, be slaughtered by the state mm. on the death certificate. It says homicide. It says the state just killed this person. And she's seeing that happen over and over and over again. And not, I'm, I'm sure she has sad days and she feels distraught, but not letting that anger her. I've never seen a moment where she's just out there like, you know, profanities and stuff. No, it's, it's, it's so, it's so like reined in and she's being way more and people like that. I know are being more effective in the short term because they're not lashing out. And so I, I I'm, I'm trying to learn that and I'm, I'm learning well, that from you as well. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. That's a great insight because, you know, some of the emotions that we have against, you know, and in various injustices, you know, on you know, everywhere, 
it does make us angry. And there's a kind of righteous anger, you know, about certain things. Jesus gets angry, right? Um, you know, in the temple and and many places. Uh, but I think you're right that you look at someone like Sister Helen, um, and she is able to, you know, always just trust that what she's doing is part of the Christian call to discipleship, but also that does not mean you demonize the other person. Yeah. Right. Even from the cross, you know, even from the cross, Jesus doesn't say F the Romans, right? He actually prays for them. He says, yeah. forgive them for they don't know yeah. what they do. So I think from a spiritual point of view, it's, it's, it's kind of understanding our common humanity, but also to your point, I really think that's a good point from a practical point of view. I think it also attracts more people to you. Right. People want to be around someone who is at peace and calm and is is not going to, you know, sort of make them angry. So it's it's a it's a balance. That doesn't mean that anger is sinful because, again, Jesus gets angry. and We should be angry at stuff that we see as as injustice. But what do you do with the anger? Right. How do you channel it? Um, and I think Helen's a great example of that. And, you know, people that I admire are really they're charitable. Yeah, I mean, like Pope Francis. Pope Francis has been demonized by everyone at this point. He is very calm about it, and he does not lash out. And I'm sure he, you know, he's he's a man of kind of intense passions, and he's he listens. It's it's see that's about encountering the other person too. He's always open to listening to the other person, and this is what Jesus asks us to do. Even even the people in Jesus's time who were the great enemies, the Samaritans. This, I think we, we lose that, as you know. The Samaritans were just the worst people. And who does Jesus make as the hero of his greatest parable or his most famous parable? The Samaritan, the good Samaritan. Mm. So it's, again, I think part of it is it's, it's not creating this us and them, as tempting as that is. There, there's an us and we're pure and we're, we're on the right side and we're all about social justice. And there's them and they're awful and they're hateful and they're sinful and they're for Jesus, there's no us and them. It's just us. And that's shocking to people. And it's, it's hard too. It's, it, it takes, it's a kind of asceticism. Yeah. So for example, in my, my line of work, you know, I mean, as I said, I have people who just despise me. I mean, I really, that's not an understatement, despise me and wish that I were dead. And when are you going to be excommunicated? You know, I just see that today, but I, I can't, I can't, I mean, I've certainly, I have feelings about that, but I, I can't really be attacking them you know what 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 good does that do does no good that's but by the same token i don't let them stop me yeah that's a good that's a good question to ask right that's the question i need to have like tattooed on the back of my eyelids it's like what good is it going to do that thing you want to tweet or say or share right now what good if it's going to do good if this is the time for that angry table flipping moment cool if it's if it's if it's precise and like there's a reason for it but most of the time I know that I would stop dead in my tracks if I asked the question, what good is it going to do? Well, that's right. What, what practical good will it do? You know, the three, I think there's, I think this is roomy, the three gates that something has to pass through before you say it. Something like, is it, is it good? Is it true? And is it kind? Something like that. Mm. And I, I think, you know, Nick, I think that the, there are ways of doing that. There are ways of drawing attention to something that aren't F this, F that. You know, like asking questions or just retweeting a story uh, that enables people to, you know, in a sense, come to their own decisions. You know, Jesus, Jesus teaches in parables. Jesus tells a story. Oftentimes when people say to me, I think, you know, LGBT people are disgusting or they shouldn't receive communion or how can you work with those people? I'll usually tell a story. I'll say, hey, let me tell you about this gay couple I know, mm. uh, one of whom, you know, suffered from cancer and the other whom nursed him, you know, until he died. You know, and I'll say, um, you know, what do you think about that? You know, because Jesus teaches in parables. He doesn't say these are the, he doesn't say, here's a PowerPoint presentation of the 10 things you have to do to be a good neighbor. He tells a story. And I think stories convert us. So I guess what I'm saying is sometimes, sometimes kind of, you know, teaching the way Jesus does in an oblique way, which seems a little less forceful, can open people up more. Really beautiful. So let's, Let's uh, begin to wrap up this conversation by kind of pinnacling this conversation around <laughs> your latest book, mm-hmm. uh, Learning to Pray. Mm-hmm. Here's why I think prayer is so important um, and why your book is so important. So again, I have, at certain points in my journey over the last six years, 
I have wanted to leave all of it all together. And the two mm-hmm. things that keep me here, the two things that keep me here are Jesus. And obviously we could talk all day long about God and Jesus and how they're one and the same, but they're oh, like different, right? So I, I can't even I can't even say personally, I can't even say God kept me here, even though I believe that's true. Mm-hmm. Jesus specifically kept me here and prayer. Because I believe that I am a better activist, a better leader, a better husband, father, neighbor, um, social justice, whatever you want to call it, and, you know, kind of driving this movement, whatever size movement it is, this let's give a damn thing that we're doing because of prayer. Because prayer is maybe the most, um, I failed a lot of things in my faith, but prayer is something that I get right. And, And by that, I mean, I just do it often. I'm sure I'm a terrible prayer, but I just do it often. And so, Talk to me about this book, the importance of prayer. Let's get into it for a few minutes because I think, and I, I ultimately want to get to, and I'll, I'll let you talk here in a second. I also want to get to, okay, there's believers and non-believers uh, listening today. And even amongst the believers, I know that there are Muslims that listen to this podcast, Baha'i, uh, Christian, Catholic, everybody, right? So that's, I'm wrapping all those in believer as well. Like the role of prayer, is it for everybody? And what can it look like for all these people? So, yeah, just talk about that book. Sure. Yeah. So the book is Learning to Pray, and the subtitle says it all, A Guide for Everyone. And it is for everyone, because God desires a relationship with everyone. And how do we know that? Well, anyone who's felt that desire for prayer, for more intimacy with God, for a longing to know kind of what what does it all mean, right? Uh, St. Augustine, I think one of the greatest quotes ever, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Yep. I mean, and that's true. And so we all have that feeling. And so prayer is about encountering God in that space. Now that sounds very vague, but, and so I talk about ways of praying. And I think the most important part of the book is what happens when you pray, you know, emotions, insights, memories, desires, feelings, what, what things come up, words, phrases, the kind of thing I just talked about, you know, in that, that experience with, you know, must everyone like you, you know, and, and discerning, how do we know this comes from God? Um, yeah. And so it's, it's an invitation for people who are, uh, who are curious about prayer because everyone thinks like, like you, look, I'm, I hate to use you as an example. Everyone thinks they don't it. pray well. Everyone thinks they don't pray well. And basically everyone is in the same boat. Everyone thinks, Oh, I'm sure the other person, all, all he has to do is close his eyes and he's, he's in mystical union with God. And no, that's not true. Everybody goes through dry periods. Everyone has difficulties in prayer. And so I talk about that as well. And I think one of the things that is the most frustrating for me um, as someone who prays and tries to pray is that people think it's for someone else, mm. which is so sad. Yep. You know, because look, let's, let's be blunt. Most people, and, and perhaps a lot of people listening, desire a relationship with God and they hear, oh, the life of prayer is so important. And they might hear you say, you know, I wouldn't be able to do this without prayer. They sit down and they close their eyes and they say two things. Now what? Or what's supposed to happen? Yeah. Or nothing's happened. That's three things. And they get discouraged and they, they, they stop. And who can blame them? The book is about continuing. The book is about, you know, in a sense, pushing through that. And that's for everybody. So it's a, it tries to be a really practical book. And when I say, I, I, I love that because the, the kind of prayer that I engage in, certainly there are times when I sit down and focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, pray for whatever an extended period of time looks like. We always give thanks for our meals, not because it's what I grew up doing. Because I'm really grateful, and I want my kids to be grateful. So before you know, I cross myself, we say a quick prayer. It's great. But the most prayer, the biggest part, like the biggest part of my prayer life, are these hundred prayers a day that are like one line long. My most common prayer. I am building something that I, I, it's in my Twitter bio. It says, I don't know what I'm doing. That's what it says. Before it's his founder of Let's that's, Give a Damn and Consultant. That should be in most people's Twitter bio. I don't know what I'm doing. So my most common prayer every single day is, it literally, it's three words long. God help me. Like, yeah, and then I'll just move prayer. on. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. It's like, God help yep. me. And so, you know, you're talking about somebody hearing us and then sitting down, closing their eyes and expecting magic to happen. That's not it. And you're not going to hear God audibly speak to you. It's it's the beginning of this, and and, and the 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 reason that prayer works, I think, is because of the mystery, right? If you're looking for these definitive things to happen when you pray, forget it. Like yeah, you're going to be disappointed. I think, 
Yeah, I do think though that, however, I would I would uh, amplify that a little bit. However, sometimes things do happen. Yes. And I think it's important to tell people that because it's not it's not simply us. So saying help me God is is wonderful and I do it all the time, okay? So that's that's kind of talking to God, requesting petitionary prayers, which is important. But from time to time, we notice in our daily lives and in our prayer, there is a response. There is a there is a like there is a real response, whether it's a feeling of peace or calm or insight yes. or members. Um and yeah, I, I so I think, you know, in the book, um, I talk about those kind of quick prayers, which I do, you know, we all do. And then sort of comparing it to a relationship that would be like texting someone, you yeah. know, a hundred times a day, which is great. Maybe you text your wife a hundred times a day. But at some point there does have to be that quiet, intimate, one-on-one, profound time. Now, the thing is, that doesn't mean that every time you have your one-on-one with your wife, you know, like you go out for dinner or whatever, it's going to be bells and whistles, right? But it does mean that if you are faithful to that, at some point there will be bells and whistles. And that's that's the point. So it's it's fidelity is a really important part of prayer as well. Yeah, that's a great point that it's it's a both and for sure. If yeah. it's all if it's all these text message right. level, uh, you know, uh it's not even a conversation, like a monologue, and then maybe maybe one back, right? One text back. There's gotta be these, yeah. I mean, you I'm glad you pointed out my wife and I, because 13 years married, we couldn't live. You can't just live on the text messages or That's the right. quick, or the quick or even the quick like uh, in passing I love you. That's intimate, but it's like it was so quick. It was so like boom, I'm gone. I we have to have the 3 hour sit down. Yeah. And yet the texts are important too. So important. you would never say to your wife, "Don't text me. We have an hour." <laughs> what you think about what is so funny. We have that hour a week. That's your time. I don't want to be texted. I'm I'm working on my project. So for people, it is, it's very much the both end. And also it depends on where you are in life. You know, your prayer will change, but the, the point of the book is it's for everyone. You can sort of anticipate results, not all the time, but here's what to expect, right? When you're praying and you know, the, 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 the foundation is the relationship. And again, look, this goes back to the original question of, you know, how to stay in a church that is flawed. And for me, it's part of this is the relationship I have with God. And then I find God, you know, largely right now and, and for the rest of my life through the Catholic church. And I've made this, I've made this promise to this, to God that I'm in relationship with. So it's also not an abstract thing. It's not like I have these series of propositions that the church does or does not, um, you know, satisfy. And I decide to leave whether or not it's, a, no, I've made a, I've made a, I'm in a relationship with God to whom I've made these promises. So I'm not going anywhere, much as much as some people would like me to. I do laugh sometimes. I shouldn't say this. I don't think I've ever admitted this, but people say, you know, when are you leaving the church? I'm like, hey, buddy, I got news for you. Never. <laughs> there's something I made so, a lot of promises. Yeah, there's something profoundly important about that. You know, and again, we could do a whole other hour on promises and commitments and 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 just sticking with something, because, again, you go over the next thing, flawed, next thing, flawed, next thing, flawed. So why not stick with one, one that you believe in, one that you've made promises about and say, no, no, no. If there's problems here, I want to be part of the solution. And those that move on after five, 10 years, they don't get to be part of the solution because they gave up too soon. But those that stick stick with it, you know, for 50, yeah. 60, 70 years, they get to be part of the solution. Yeah. And, and you know, one of, the, one of my favorite stories, um, I don't know how much time we have. It's a pretty short story, if you don't mind. Go for it. I often tell this to young Jesuits. I will never forget this. There was an older Jesuit I lived with named John Donahue, who has since, as they say, gone to God. And he was 90 when he died, but he was probably one of the holiest people I've ever met. Funny as hell, super smart, very uh, funny wit. And one day I was at the community bulletin board in our Jesuit community, and he was glowering or glaring, I guess, at a note that was placed up by the, the Jesuits in our area, like the, lo- the local Jesuit superior. And he said to me, he had this very gruff voice. He said, look at this, look at this. This is ridiculous. You know, he's, he's 90 years old. I'm like, I'm like 40, you know, I'm still kind of young in the society of Jesus. And I said, what is it? Well, it was an announcement for a, a big province gathering, a gathering of all the, the Jesuits in New York. And it was, and as sometimes these things do, they had a theme. I'll never forget this. And this, and he says, look at this question. And the theme was what keeps me in the Jesuits? And I remember thinking, well, it sounds like a, it's kind of a nice topic of conversation. I, I looked at him and I said, that's not such a bad question. He turned to me full face and said, what keeps me in the Jesuits? I made a promise to God that I would stay in the Jesuits. That's what keeps me in the Jesuits. And I was like, gee, 
And I said to him, well, John, I think what it means is what enables you to stay? What's a, what's a support for you? Friends, prayer? He goes, that's a different question. I'll never forget that. And so I made a promise to God that I'd stay in. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm, as I said, despite some of my critics, I'm not going anywhere. I love that. I love that. Well, I, I do hope that we can, you know, do this again. There's so much more to dig into. Uh, friends listening to the podcast, especially this month during Pride Month, order Building a Bridge today. If you're interested just in how to include LGBTQ people, period, but especially in a faith context, specifically in the Catholic Church for this book, and also learning to pray. Like I said, a lot of people have talked about how they admire my, you know, fervency and my, like, you know, able to keep going through stuff. Well, I'm just telling you, part of that is because of my faith and prayer. And so learning to pray, uh, a, I'm not finished with it yet, but a, a wonderful book that I've benefited from so much so far. And Father Jim, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your story and wisdom and for helping us become better damn givers. Truly a pleasure. And uh, God bless you in your work. That's it, my friends. Thank you so much for spending some time with Father Jim and me today. To learn more about Father James Martin, follow him on Twitter at JamesMartinSJ. And to keep up with all things Let's Give a Damn, visit letsgiveadam.com and follow us on all the socials as well. A sincere thank you to each and every one of you for showing up today. I'm grateful for you. Chad Snavely, Jess Collins, and the team at Sound On Studios made this episode. The music is by our friend Propaganda. You can reach out anytime and for any reason at hello at letsgiveadam.com. I love you all. Be safe. Keep giving a damn. Bye for now.